Hi, everybody. Every two years, the Texas legislature convenes for only a few months. That legislative session is intense. It can be crazy. And today marks the start of one that is likely to change all of our lives. I'm talking about it with CityCast political contributor Evan Mintz. It's Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Hey, Evan. Hey, Lisa. So before we really get into the issues, let's just quickly set the stage. Texas Mm -hmm. is a purple state. The cities vote for Democrats, rural areas vote for Republicans, but our state government is completely controlled by Republicans. I mean, you can pretend like our state is a purple state. We can feel that way. But the reality is that politics is about power and Republicans hold all of the power in the state. Because all the counties, all the cities are creations of the state. And so Republicans can try to do whatever they can with that power. If they want, they can get rid of the city of Austin. They can override any local regulations. All they have to do is just pass it and get it done. All right. So that takes us straight into abortion. Um, You know, we see polls saying that most Texans support some abortion rights, at least Mm -hmm. in the case of rape and incest. And... You know, one of the state senators has a bill that would let voters vote on abortion. Mm -hmm. You think that's got a prayer? Oh, dead on arrival. Like that is not going to see the light of day because Republicans don't want it to see the light of day. They like the status quo. Why would they let a big vote on that? If you've seen what happened in other red and purple states where voters are allowed to express their direct will on abortion, you get nuanced views. You get a sense that people who normally vote Republican really want some protection for a woman's right to choose. Why would Republicans let that happen in Texas? So do you think that we might see even more restrictions on abortion? I don't see why not. I think you're going to see, you've already seen proposals for bills to override a local authority to help fund or arrange abortions in some type of direct or indirect way. I think you're going to see stricter stuff getting through. And until Republicans actually suffer at the ballot box because of this, which they haven't really done, it's going to keep happening. But every now and then you see bills that seem so extreme and over the top. Like you never think that things like that can get through. But I think we're already there. But there's it, there's more to come. Yeah. Well, I, I always think of the big fight over Sharia law. Do you remember the fight over Sharia law? Sharia law was a problem in Texas. We're going to pass laws banning Sharia law. It was was like the number one threat to the state. It was like Sharia law, and then it's like economic issues and crime and blah, 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 blah. blah. But Sharia law, big issue. What happened to that? Like, did we solve the Sharia law problem? Is Sharia law taken care of? Is there no more Sharia law in Texas? Like, no. Every single legislative session, crazy people bring up these wacky ideas, these things that get to the gut of their base primary voters in the Republican Mm -hmm. primary and things that activate the ire of Democratic activists and makes those Republicans feel good that they're triggering the libs. They get to have a big symbolic fight over something that at its core does not really have a lot of policy ramifications. For example, look at the larger fight we're going to be seeing over, say, drag shows. We're going to have a big fight about drag shows. Aren't you worried that your kids are going to be exposed to drag shows? I mean, we're not talking about crime. We're not talking about education funding. We're talking about people going to a drag brunch as being dangerous. I mean, that's going to be the big threat to our state. That's going to be the thing that makes headlines. But behind the scenes, behind those headlines, you do get bills addressing things like coastal resilience and crime and taxes. 
and stuff like that, where you actually get Democrats and Republicans working together in some way to try to pass good laws. But the moment something starts to get attention, the moment it starts to trigger some political constituency, all bets are off. You can't work together. And my example of this would be during the last legislative session when Mm -hmm. you had Republicans and Democrats working together to create a new property taxing district to fund the Ike Dike. The fact that you had Republicans voting to raise property taxes is a I know, (laughs) but no one really paid attention to this thing. It didn't get anyone upset. It has kind of slid it through. And here we are. So you've got to see what are the sort of things that are going to slide through that aren't going to get people all worked up. Uh, During the last legislative session, there's a big fight over changing uh, cash bail standards in the state of Texas. The situation in which a judge can detain someone preventatively while they're still innocent is very narrow in the state. So after you've been arrested and charged. Mm -hmm. But you're still innocent. Right. Right. it's very hard for judges to hold you before trial. At the same time, it's very easy to detain people on cash bail who don't necessarily pose a big threat, but they just don't have money. So you've seen states across the country, red and blue, trying to change their laws so you have detention based more on risk rather than money. They tried to put something together during the last legislative session. It fell apart in the end. They just couldn't come to agreement. There's a lot of talk about doing it again during this legislative session, but I haven't seen a bill out of the Senate yet. And if they don't have anything yet, it makes you wonder, there's just sense that people can't come together or are we going to get a big, scary uh, thing that's dropped in people's laps intended to freak people out? At the same time, the governor is talking about the need to uh, criminalize, break criminal ramifications for people who cut off their ankle monitors. You know, you can be uh, let go pre-trial and you have an electronic Mm -hmm. monitor on your ankle. But if you try to remove it, it's just an administrative penalty. It's not a new crime. So they want to change that. That's the sort of thing that you're seeing make headlines now instead of bail stuff. It's interesting how those little things can be uh, start as like the little snowballs that roll down the hill and turn into one big, scary uh, fight that we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, because everybody wants to be tough on crime. And if you can point to, oh, my God, I worked to stop these ankle monitor cutters, then you've done something. Mm-hmm. The problem is that, you know, like, like a doctor misdiagnosing a disease. If they mm-hmm. say, this is the problem, and this is going to solve all our issues, like, well, no, it's not. And if you put all of your energy into the wrong thing, then we could have spent six months actually trying to get at the real issue there. Now, of course, the only thing that the Texas legislature has to do is pass a budget. And that's going to be fun this year because they actually have money. They have nearly $30 oh, billion dollar yeah. surplus. And this is a one-time surplus, right? It's not expected right. to last? Well, it's because Texas makes money from oil and gas. And if you don't mm-hmm. remember, oil and gas was kind of expensive over the past yeah. year or so. And so they were able to collect a whole lot of extra revenue from that. Dan Patrick is saying that he wants to use it on property tax cuts. The speaker is saying that he wants to use this on investing in infrastructure because it's a one-time expenditure. Yeah, And every single interest group around the state has their ideas of how they want to spend it. Yeah. And so this is going to be a bare-knuckle fight. What are you expecting? I mean, it's better to have too much money rather than not enough money. But the state of Texas has done a very bad job of usually planning for the future, of investing in the future. Like we mm-hmm. benefit right now from the brilliance of people who uh, preceded us, who made big universities and pipelines and roads and uh, ports. Like it'd be very difficult to get a lot of that stuff done today just because there's a sense that, oh, the government's spending money and might not be worthwhile. Uh, so we have to find things that we can invest in now. Where 30 years, people look back and say, oh, like, I sure am glad they spent $5 billion, you know, building this dam. 
$5 billion mm -hmm. building this port. Yeah. So one of the things I think Texas really needs to work on is K through 12 education. Mm -hmm. You know, we're lagging. Oh my God, the school funding system is a wreck. Mm -hmm. You think there's a shot at fixing anything <laughs> big there? Don't know that me. <laughs> I, I, I'm just, I'm sorry. The one thing we're going to get out of the legislative session is depression. Oh. The big fight over K through 12 education is going to be about vouchers. They want to get oh. vouchers, free money for private schools, private tutors, online schools with, as far as I can tell, no oversight, no strings attached. It's so like fascinating to me that one, you hear a lot of uh, crying about how we need school choice in Texas. Well, congratulations, you won. We've got school choice in Texas. We have charter schools. We have choice within yeah, districts. In cities, we have a lot of choices. Yeah. Right? We do. We've got private schools, religious schools. Yeah. But they're saying, oh, no, that's not real choice, that you need to be able to give taxpayer dollars to people to go to whichever school they want. So to go to the private and religious schools. Right. But not even that. Mm -hmm. It could be online schools. It could just be oh. a private tutor. Yeah. And so a lot of the arguments around like school choice used to be based on uh, the sense that, well, if our public schools aren't good enough, not getting good outcomes, we need to give people the options to go to other places. But yeah. that argument's kind of faded away because you don't see a lot of like high rigor being applied to some of these private institutions that people want to spend their money. Yeah. Instead, the fight is about, oh, the schools are too woke. The schools are too liberal. I don't like these schools. They're teaching my kids bad values. I want to get paid to teach my kids at home or send money to this online school that you've never heard of. And we're going to end up with, if this really gets through, is something that looks a little bit like what a low-quality uh, vocational higher education looks like, where you have yeah. these set-up institutions that are more about making money and squeezing taxpayer dollars without actually delivering their promised outcomes. But if the outcome that people want here is just less money for public schools because they don't like public schools, then it doesn't matter whether these schools are good or not. Oh, So I would think that this would be really unpopular in rural Texas, where they have enough trouble keeping their schools open because there are so few students. You, you would think so. If you drain some of the students out by doing these online programs, does that doom the schools? Well, first of all, how many of these rural areas actually have broadband? I think that's a serious question. And the rural yeah. areas have long been a bulwark against this kind of uh, voucher program because they know that they're the ones who are going to get screwed over by it. That these institutions, these schools uh, aren't just schools, but they are like cultural hubs for communities. They yeah. are entertainment hubs. They're sports hubs. Like they're where people go for everything. They're also major employers too. And so you've heard people like Dan Patrick saying, well, 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 these vouchers are only really going to be for like the school districts so we have problems, not these rural areas where like everything's uh, fine. Now, I would say looking at like the ratings and academic outcomes for these districts, I'm not convinced that rural areas are particularly that great. Uh, but there has been a political firewall in rural Texas against this kind of move. And as the partisan politics of it overtakes the immediate material interests of people in rural areas... I think you're going to see folks saying like, well, you know, I don't like public schools. I want vouchers. That is the Republican thing to do. And I'm a Republican. Wow. All right. So when I was talking with you earlier, you mentioned something about chicken regulation. <laughs> There's always funny bills going through that like just pique your personal interest. Something that will not lead me to despair. Correct. Okay. Well, and there's a bill moving uh -huh. through the legislature 
um, to override local bans on raising chickens and other uh, food in your yard, in your garden. <laughs> so like if the city of Westview doesn't want me to have chickens, I could have chickens? Right. The state would override. We talked about this at the beginning, how the state can just do whatever it wants to these local municipalities. Yeah. Like, well, this is a bill that's going through, uh, sponsored by a Democrat, mm -hmm. uh, State Rep. Cortez, and it's got Republican support to say that uh, notwithstanding other laws uh, or, you know, prohibitions on noise and pollution, a local homeowners association or a municipality cannot prevent the growing of fruits and vegetables or the raising and keeping of six or fewer domestic Ooh. fowl or six or fewer adult rabbits on a single family lot. Okay, so that includes homeowners associations. Isn't that mm -hmm. like a contract? Is that mm -hmm. the same? So like, I can't agree to like my neighbors that we all won't have chickens? I mean, contracts are bound by law. Law. The law says what you can and can't agree to in a contract. Okay. Oh, so this is it. Chickens for everybody. Yeah, free the chickens. It's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what else is on your mind? What are you looking at? Well, I, I guess I'm just kind of looking at that first day to see what the speaker race goes like, whether Democrats get appointed to committees in the House, and just what the rules are going to be. We just had this big fight in Congress over something like that. And you can kind of tell how yeah. the rest of the session is going to go by what the rules are. If you get Democrats on some committee chairmanships, uh, it's mm -hmm. probably going to be a lot like previous years. But if it's all Republicans... And Democrats really get sh uh, Democrats get shoved in a corner, then it's going to be different. You're really going to see the House no longer playing the role it used to play as like the brakes on state government. And when Joe Strauss was Speaker, who was you know a moderate Republican, held the mm -hmm. office for ten years, he said that he had two constituents. One were the people who elected him in his district in San Antonio, and the other were all the members of the House who elected him Speaker. And he yeah. really didn't have a larger constituency beyond that. And so he would do things to make sure that all the House members were kind of happy. They didn't have to take votes they didn't want to take. They didn't get, you know, uh, put between a rock and a hard place when it came to, like, those tough political questions about abortion or trans kids or this or that. He would really try to focus on the actual governance of the state. Yeah. But if you have uh, a Texas House that says, no, like, we're all Republican now and we're doing what the Republican base wants, that's going to be different. Like that's going to be greasing the skids towards yeah. a state that we've never lived in before. All right. Um, I'm nervous. All right. Well, thank you so much, Evan. You're it's welcome. Been thank good. you for having me. That was CityCast political contributor Evan Mintz. We will have links in our show notes to a place where you can find out who your state rep and senator are and also how to contact them. And another link to where you can read and track bills moving through the ledge. Now, I am here with A.K. Al-Mumin, a CityCast producer. A.K., what is going on around Houston today? Hey, Lisa. We have to talk about the Texans' continued woes. On Monday, the Texans fired head coach Love Smith after an abysmal 3-13-1 record this season. This is the second back-to-back one-season coach firing for the Texans after David Cully's firing last season with a 3-14 record. This is about as bad as it has ever been for the Texans franchise. And to add insult to injury, by winning their game against the Colts 32-31 this past Sunday, the Texans have lost the chance to clinch the number one pick in the NFL draft. 
and possibly the opportunity to turn the franchise around after shedding talent over the past few years like a team on a mission to the bottom. I hope the Texans' luck can turn around next season with a solid hiring as coach and a ready-to-play draft pick. In other more wholesome news, the Memorial Park's new amenity, the Land Bridge and Prairie Project, has its new unveiling date on February 11th with an event the Memorial Park Conservancy is calling the biggest picnic in Texas, which will be held from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on the 11th of February at 7575 Picnic Lane. The Conservancy promises a whole heap of events around the new amenity area, which will span 100 acres. This sounds like such a lovely time. I just hope the Houston weather will let us have this one. That's it for our show today. If you want to keep up with us via email, subscribe to our newsletter. It's houston.citycast.fm slash newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow. Talk with you then. No, I mean, I could talk forever about the legislature.